all sorts of people here. It's lovely. So we are um, beginning to look at Ephesians. It doesn't sound like I'm coming through, does it? How am I doing? Yes, I am coming through. Okay. Um, We're beginning to look at Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 because we said to ourselves, we really want to read that because we read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 a couple of years ago, and we stopped at that point. Um, There's a book that goes with the next seven weeks. It's called Transformed Living, uh, and we've had these out for months now uh, because we recognize that some home groups would want to have started these back in September. Um, But if you haven't got a book, there's copies at the back. They're free, free to you. Um, and um, as long as you read it, that is. There's a daily reading for every day over the next seven weeks, so 50 days or so. It's page and a half, two, two and a half pages, and then something to reflect on every day. And I think, if you're going to get the best out of this, we need to be, all of us, reading this book if we can. Uh, and if, as an individual, um, if you're going to get the most out of it, then, then that's... Um, where I would suggest would be helpful to go, as well as, of course, being here and all that kind of thing. We'll come back to that later on. Um, Now, Ephesians chapter 4, we've just had read to us. It obviously comes part way through Ephesians, as you might imagine, you know. We've had 1, 2, and 3 already. And so, a couple of weeks ago, 16th of September, maybe, Though we did have a sermon where we reintroduced ourselves to what happened in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Um, and we'll look again at that in, in a few minutes as we just kind of keep ourselves caught up. Now, I think one of the horizons that we have to think about is that reality is that one day Jesus will return. In other words, it will soon be the apocalypse or the apocalypse. <coughs> But surely you mean, no, the Armageddon. <laughs> just to keep you on your toes today, the Armageddon is, uh, Armageddon is that time just before the Last Judgment. Um, so whether you uh, think of it as, um, this is kind of in that realm of look busy, Jesus is coming soon type um, conversations, isn't it? Um, so there we are. Let's go move on. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 then. Um, inevitably, we need to look back. So let's look back. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, and in the previous version of this book, which was Transformed Life, so if you have got Transformed Life on your bookshelves, um, then you just might want to notice that it's not the same as Transformed Living. Um, Transformed Life, uh, we looked at uh, the questions of identity. Who am I? Where do I fit? A question of belonging, and a question of what am I living for? That question of purpose. So um, you could answer... All of those in relationship to, uh, in, in terms of our relationship with Jesus. So who am I? I'm a child of God. Where do I fit? I'm part of God's family. What am I living for? To bring glory to God and to see the increase of his kingdom. And all of that's possible because of Jesus and Jesus dying on a cross and taking on him the sins of the whole world. And I think it's quite interesting that Um, the first part of Ephesians there's lots of conversation about Christ it's in Christ for example that we are that we find out who we are and what we're living for whereas in chapters 4, 5 and 6 there's lots of references to the Lord so if you see what I mean we're in a kind of turning point between recognising what Christ as in Jesus the Messiah has done for us 
then how do we live out our lives knowing that actually Jesus is also Lord of all? So we're at that, in, in chapter four, we're just at that turning point. Um, here are some verses that um, have been rewritten into the first person for us that help us to think about some of the statements that, we've, that are in chapter one and then in chapter two. Yes, it only goes through to one and two. Um, that help us to see something of who we are. Now, because uh, you feel, um, I'm feeling like it's going to work, you guys get to say the bits in bold, and you guys will get to say the bits, the statements in not in bold, so the second and the fourth and so on. Uh, and we'll just see how we get on, because I think these are really helpful for us to remind ourselves to know, even for the first time, what it's like. So together, in Christ, I have a new identity. In Christ, I have grace and peace. In Christ, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, I have been chosen and planned for. In Christ, I am God's only child. God's child, sorry. In Christ, I am highly favoured. In Christ, I am redeemed and forgiven. In Christ, I have a great hope. In Christ, I am sealed with the Spirit. In Christ, I am greatly loved. In Christ, I have come alive. In Christ, I'm seated in heavenly places. In Christ, I am world's workmanship. In Christ, I am a new creation. So that's some of the the Bible verse highlights of those two chapters. Um, Really just helping us to see just exactly how, what God has done uh, and done for us. And thus, Paul then starts into chapter four with this. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling that we've just been talking about for three chapters that you have received. Let's unpack it a bit. Um, there's three different versions there that might help us. So as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Or the new revised standard version suggests it's I, therefore, a prisoner in the Lord, beg you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Or the contemporary English version, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beg you to live a life in a to live. I beg you to live in a way that is worthy of the people God has chosen to be his own. Therefore, it's that old adage, isn't it? If you see the word therefore, you, understand, you need to understand what it's there for. It reminds us of what's happened in the past. So because of all that's gone before, because we recognise that we have received that calling to be co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God, part of the family of God, adopted, forgiven, restored. There's a positional change, if you like. Therefore, Paul begs us to live up to that reality that you are part of God's royal family. Now, I know this feels a little harsh, but if you were the queen, I suspect that most of you 
would not wear the clothes that you do now. <laughs> even if you were the king. And I'm not trying to talk just about clothing, but actually there's an attitude here that actually we are people who, have been, who are called to be part of God's royal family. Do we live in the light of that reality? Knowing that all the resources of heaven are on our side. Knowing that God put in us his spirit, which is the same power at work in us as raised Christ from the dead. That's what the kind of topic that we're on for the next seven weeks And Paul starts here then, recognising that he's a prisoner for the Lord. Not just is he in prison, but he talks about himself as being captive to God. He understands that his whole life, his choices, are all based on that reality that he belongs to God. And he's calling us to that same kind of view. And it starts then with that living a life worthy of the calling you've received. Let's have a look at it. What is that life like? Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Not just humble on a day when it's easy to be, but completely, totally, utterly. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We're to keep, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. And for me, there's something here about that reality that in any church setting there's only one sort of guaranteed point of unity which is our faith when you look across even today the diversity of people we cannot point to one any other uniting factor you cannot say that everybody has a GCSE in maths or that everybody has an A level in Latin or that everybody even lives in Waterslight there is no one thing we can say that is the same except And here I recognise that we're a service of public worship and so I cannot expect that everybody is of faith. But the one uniting thing of the, as it were, of the church invisible is that actually we all have faith. Faith in God, faith that, that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. Hence the Armageddon jokes. Um, faith that it's because of Jesus' death on the cross that we have any sense of hope. So Paul urges us to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace, to make every effort to do that. Because frankly, if we don't make every effort and we don't keep the unity of the Spirit, then what are we left with? 
We're left with a fractious group of individuals pulling separately in different directions and not exactly being church. Make every effort then. And what does that mean? Surely that means sometimes saying, it's perhaps not my style, it's perhaps not my way of doing things, but we can see that we want to do this because we want to see the kingdom of God grow, because we want to all grow in maturity in Christ. And so we put aside our personal preferences for the sake of the the corporate entity, if you like, which is with that corporate view that we all want to be people who grow in Christ. And if you look on, you see verse 4, 5, 6, Paul just pushes this point about oneness. We're one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's only one place where God is everywhere. One, 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 one. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's everywhere. Who is one, if you like. And Paul urges us to be one, keep the unity of the Spirit. Hardly surprising, is it? Given that Paul is then, is then reminding us that actually it's, it, it's us as Christians in all that become the body of Christ. No one person is a complete representation of the body of Christ on earth. We have the same Spirit at work in each of us. There's no special spirit for pastors, for vicars. It's the spirit of God, the same spirit as raised Christ from the dead that's in each of us who have come to faith. So we have the same hope, which is that God's going to... My brain working again. We have the same hope, which is that we're going to go to heaven that we're going to be part of God's family forever because we already are part of God's family forever, because God has already put our names in the book of life, because we know that God gives us hope, meaning, and purpose on this earth and not just for the future, because we all serve the one Lord. We have the same faith, so we all say the same Nicene Creed, which, by the way... um, uh, the more I think about Nicene Creed, the more it excites, excites me. Um, it was created, written to drown in, in 325 AD, which was at a point when the Roman emperor basically had become Christian. And he went, I need to be Christian and everybody needs to recognise that I am because there is the one recognition of what Christian means. And so basically he got everybody together, across the Roman Empire and wider, to say, what does it really mean to be Christian? And so the Nicene Creed, what we'll say later, I guess, I'm hoping, we will be now, says Steve. Um, The Apostles' Creed, but we'll do the Nicene, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, You know, but the Nicene Creed comes from from then, when actually we, it's before any of those splits between the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox Church before the Pentecostal movement came along before actually it was a one 
uniting statement. We have one faith, friends. And we recognize one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So we don't re-baptize. We don't um, find any need to, to think that baptism is, is anything more than once. We have one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. An amazing God that we serve, that we want to bring glory and honour to. When we recognise that actually we are adopted into God's family. That there is no, there's no uncertainty. Because we know that God loves us. And God has adopted us and 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 recognizes um, that we he, he puts he recognizes by putting his spirit in us. Now we talked a little bit about transformed living. That's the upfront view of the book. Ah, oh, doesn't work on my telly screen. It's a bit um, bright for you. Sorry, let's move on. Okay, I want to offer you five things that you could do to help you stay um, in, in the midst of this series. Five things. First one, expect that God might be talking to you and challenging you. To come expectant, hmm, come every week, but yes, come expectant and come expectant that God is going to talk to you and challenge you in your way of living. Second suggestion, if you take the middle finger, the longest wing finger, read the book. Daily devotionals every day. They're short, 10 to 15 minutes by the time you've prayed and read and thought it through. The... Um, if you work in with your left hand, the fourth finger is the ring finger, the one that's about relationship. So, you know, if you're in a small group, go to it. If you're not in one, find some friends that aren't in one and sit and read and think about, the, think about what we've read every week together. Um, the fifth suggestion is to think about... Um, the little finger, if you like, brings balance to life, then actually one way is to, th- to, to access this is to think about memorizing scripture. And there's a weekly verse, a verse for the week, which is this one this week, that is worth committing to memory. Should we try it? You read it out, I'll hide the words, and then we'll say it again. One, two, three. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that was from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Well done. See, we don't need balloons. The thumb, I want to suggest you, connects with each of the other fingers. So actually, it's partly about application. We're called to live a life worthy of the calling that we've been given.
go back a bit. Live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And actually, we need to actually live that out. It's not just about words. It's not just about prayer. It's about our daily lives. How are the people you come into contact with, whether they're in the shops or at work or at the school gates or wherever you are, how are they going to recognise that you are living a life worthy of the calling you've received? And there's no easy answer to that. It comes with a lifetime of learning and applying This is a journey of transformation. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen by osmosis. You can't just sleep with it under your pillow. Read the book. Read the text. Read the Bible. And pray it through. And live it out. It's life-changing for individuals. But what, happens, what, what would it be like if we all did this? If we then entered into Advent, just you know, weeks before Christmas having all read this, having all thought it through, having all begun to go, wow, God is so amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have called us to be your children that you've adopted us into your royal family and placed that seal, that deposit of your Holy Spirit in us. Father, give us wisdom in these days to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And as we live that life, I pray that you would help us to be people who indeed keep the unity, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Amen. Amen. So that you word unity which Martin has introduced it to and rehearsed us in. (laughs) Thank you, Martin.